This is Neat and Mixed from Hops and Spirits. We're back once again with another flight night. It's been a little while, but, uh, you know, Brandon and I have been, uh, forgot how to have a drink. And we've got a fun guest with us this week. He's the co-founder of Old Lines Spirits, and he's going to talk to us about single malts. So welcome in, Mark McLaughlin. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And uh, for those watching, I'm Jonathan. Brandon's the other guy in the uh, little toboggan. And Mark's, uh, depending on how this will uh, come out, will be the other guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but Mark, I, I'm, before we get into all the questions and all that, we've got a pour. So uh, let's start with that American Single Malt Flagship 95. Yeah, I got uh, I got a picture or uh, a bottle shot of it right here for those who are watching, and that's what we're sipping first. Uh, like you said, Jonathan, it's, uh, our American Single Malt Whiskey at 95 proof. We call it our flagship. Uh, you'll see a couple of Navy. We're Navy guys. So you'll see flagship and Navy strength kind of scattered throughout our branding. And this is really uh, this is the the kind of entry point for our whole portfolio. Um, I'm happy to talk about it, or just you know have you guys sip it and go from there. I'm going to pour myself some, too, if you all don't mind. Absolutely. What we're here for. Uh, what was that, Brendan? That, that's what we're here for. Oh, got it. Nice. Now, as I said, Brandon and I are not big single malt guys. So we're going to take this as a learning experience. Yeah, I mean, I tell you, the uh, where Arch and I came into this whole thing uh, is we came in as as really lovers of bourbon, um, and I still we will always love bourbon dearly. Um, and we set out with Old Mine originally to make bourbon and rye for all the reasons that anybody would want to. They're phenomenal categories, especially being in Maryland, you know, historically a rye producing state. And we stumbled across, which I know we'll get into later, I'm sure, uh, an opportunity to learn how to make single malt from a couple of gentlemen who were retiring, and that set us on this path. And uh, it was, at first, it, it, the idea was a little bit of a shock to us. Like, hey, we set out to make you know, bourbon and rye, American-style whiskeys, we're American guys, you know, it's, it's oh, come on. And then they, we, they were making this, Bob and Jim, the guys we learned from over at Golden Distillery, were making this amazing American single malt, uh, aged in virgin oak with no peat, and it really, it hit all the notes that we love in a whiskey and just delivered them, uh, you know, in a very different way. So for us, this is like the, the single malt whiskey for bourbon drinkers is really like one way to put it, we think. Brandon, I saw you make a face. I mean, and it wasn't a bad face. No, I am really pleasantly surprised I Don is Don Don knows we're not taking them off um but this is really good I'm not gonna go out that's really good I appreciate that yeah it's a uh, for us one of the biggest challenges we have is the the term single malt has so many connotations in, in consumers minds e even guys like you guys who know whiskey way better than the average person 
there's that strong association, whether it's, you know, people think of like PD Isla whiskeys, which, you know, I love for what they are, but that's not what we do. Uh, sometimes the Highland malts are wonderful, but they're also very, very like, kind of like uh, fruity and whatnot, which can be great when you want that. This just delivers in a totally different way. And it's uh, the surprise, the surprise factor and the wow factor is really, is really cool. The challenge for us is that when it's sitting on the shelf, you know, it's, you know, as an American single malt, this is hand-to-hand -hand combat for us to actually get people to try it. And once they try it, we're off to the races. Uh, but that perception of, oh, I'm, I may not like it because of my other experience with single malts. Um, again, we're just delivering something so much different. Um, but when we see people have that pleasant reaction that kind of surprises them, uh, it makes our day. Yeah, so I appreciate that. No, absolutely. It, and it drinks. I mean, it's just like, a, it's like you talked about how you try to bring those flavors of like a bourbon. Right? And so, you know, is that all those, all those notes, it, it hits all those to me. Um, if the nose is really good, it's like anything you would get from a bourbon for me. Um, a little bit of that oaky, fruity, vanilla, you know, but that's, that's it. Well done. Well Thank done. You. Well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think you'll like the second it's one. It's not overly grainy or anything, which is what I feel like. Brandon and I have had before. Yeah, you know, it's uh, as far as why it's not, you know, I'm sure you know, I, I have some guesses about where you have, do you have some malts that are really grainy? I know that uh, in, and you're, this is, I'm not the distiller, that's my, my business partner runs the ops department and Jerry's our distiller, so I'm like the third guy who should be talking about this, not the first at Old Line Spirits, but uh, when we make our cuts, um, uh, I don't think we go quite as deep into what other, what we define as tails might be a little bit of an earlier cut than other single malt distilleries. Um, and along with that, I think you can get a little bit more graininess. Um, and also just the age, age takes a lot of that out. Um, and you see it with like, well, you see it with bourbons and rye too, right? Especially rye, you know, that really kind of grainy and rye forward, which is great. Rye can be kind of young and still be great, I think. But uh, that does kind of soften over time with the, with the aging. Now, how did you and Arch meet? Was it in the Navy? It was in the Navy, yeah. So we were uh, we were both uh, naval flight officers. So for those who are you know listening or watching who aren't familiar with the term, think of Goose in Top Gun. You know the guy that didn't have the twenty twenty vision but still wants to be in an airplane. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we were the guy running the weapon system, navigator, co-pilot, that sort of thing. Uh, it was great. Did about ten years active duty. Arch did about the same, maybe a little more, and then he stayed in for the reserves and retired. But uh, yeah, we were flying the same plane. Uh, so we knew each other a little bit on active duty. We were, you know, cross paths here and there a little bit. And then when we both got out of active duty, uh, went to the reserves uh, out of Andrews Air Force Base, actually, even though we were a Navy squadron, uh, there was a small Navy contingent in Andrews. And when I was going to grad school, I flew. And he was, as an engineer out here, he was flying. So that's where we really were in the same unit and became buddies. And uh, to make it weirder, uh, we end up uh, living three doors down from each other in Baltimore City, um, within a block of two other guys. And this is unbeknownst to, to each other, right? I mean, no, uh, that was one of yeah one, one of the reasons I went there. So uh, my uh, our buddy Ray moved there first. He used to fly with us. Then my brother-in-law. This is it's 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 completely incestuous. Uh, my brother-in-law, who I knew from the Navy, you know, ended up moving to the same neighborhood. Then Arch moved there because he knew those guys. And then I'm like, well, shit, I'm in too. So we all lived at one point within a block of each other. Now it's just me and Arch. But um, yeah. So anyway, it's you know, we became friends after active duty. Became much closer. And 
when, uh, when the time came to, for me at least, to make a switch from, I was an investment banker after the Navy for about two years, and it wasn't a good fit for me, and I was itching to do something on my own, and the whiskey thing was kind of calling, and Arch, uh, I, was, I didn't realize he was kind of open to giving it a go as well, so we jumped into it uh, together, and, and here we are, you know, how many, was it 10 years later that we're uh, still breathing, still kicking. Well, and, and you touched on this too, that there's a chance meeting with some guys at Golden Distillery, but it's also where you guys were based for a good while in Seattle. So how did that trip to Seattle change everything for you? Yeah, so it's uh, another weird coincidence that, um, to your point, so you know, in 2014, I left my banking job and I was going out to a wedding. A uh, Navy buddy of mine was getting married. I was the best man, so of course I'm going. And uh, so I was quitting the job with the idea of starting a distillery, but have no concept whatsoever about how to start one. I just said, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. My wife is weirdly supportive of me doing this because she saw how unhappy I was with my old job. And she was, uh, you know, we're not living high in the hall, but she was able to, you know, pay the bills for a bit while I, while I kind of went on this fool's errand. And uh, so I went out to Seattle for the wedding, and I remember Googling before I went. I knew there was a lot of breweries uh, in the Seattle area from when I had lived out there prior in the Navy. So I'm like, oh, maybe there's distilleries too. So I Googled, like, Seattle Distillery. And lo and behold, the same week I was going out there, uh, the American Distilling Institute uh, was having their annual conference in Seattle. So, well, hell, I'm going anyway. I'll just go a couple days early and shake some hands, figure out if I can figure out what step one is on this whole process. And for uh, I mean, you guys probably know ADI, but for those who may not, it's uh, it's an organization that's really encourages the grassroots uh, growth of like the craft spirits industry. So, uh, really helping people you know figure out how to get started to grow. You know, kind of a rising tide benefits all. You know, rises uh, all those for us the rising tide. Excuse me. So uh, great organization. And when I was out there for the conference, just kind of. Feeling pretty overwhelmed, realizing that I knew I knew little. Uh, I knew I knew next to nothing, and I this really reinforced that I knew nothing. And I met a guy out there, uh, just sat down next to me on a couch. He's in his 70s. His name's Bob Stilnovich, and just sat down next to me and started chatting me up. Turns out he's an Army vet from Vietnam, and I'm an Iraq guy. And uh, you know, within about 10 minutes, you know, he's like, "Hey, what, what brought you out here?" And I said, "I'm looking to start a distillery back in Baltimore, and I don't really know how." He goes, "All right, man. Well, I'm selling mine. You want to buy it?" So. Immediately, I'm thinking, you know, I I just been doing M&A, so I'm thinking like, okay, this is a distillery's got to be a big thing. Okay, who's your lawyer? You know, who's your banker? Do you have any offers yet? And blah blah blah. And he goes, no, 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 slow down, slow down. You're the first guy I've told. So he he walked in the room because his distillery was 90 minutes from Seattle uh, City, so he drove down to this conference knowing that if you want to market your distillery for sale, which he did. Might as well go to a place where there's a bunch of new guys looking to get into business. And uh, he was looking to, he and his business partner, Jim Caudill, were looking to sell because Jim was terminally ill. Um, and so it was just kind of, you know, it was a retirement hobby for two guys that were doing this for fun in a barn, essentially, on Bob's property. And, uh, you know, it, it, unfortunately, it was time for them to kind of move on. Uh, and then Jim actually ended up passing away just about a month before we moved out there to Apprentice uh, in 2015. So it was a right place, right time, and uh, I think for everybody. I mean, I think that for, I know Jim's family, you know, they had enough going on with him being sick, so I think they were probably relieved that they could just kind of wrap this thing up and, you know, get, get some cash out of it. Um, 
And then Bob, you know, was doing this with his buddy. Now it was going to be just him. So he doesn't want to do that anymore. He's 72. So they were happy. Uh, and then we were thrilled to have the opportunity to not only, you know, buy the assets of a business, but to have the stock and also, most importantly, to go out there and, you know, live in Bob's guest house for as long as we wanted. We ended up staying for, I was there like a month and a half. I think Arch was there for three or four months. Um, just enough to be, you know, enough to know to be dangerous. But uh, it, it, we could have stayed there for a year. Bob wouldn't have cared. So it was a really unusual, unique situation that we kind of just stumbled right into. So for some, somebody who's not been to Baltimore yet, um, I know, but I do know this. I know you guys do two things really well in the trap cakes and football. Um, talk about how the distillery landscape is in Baltimore, how hard that was to set up, get going. Uh, you know, because for me, I'm, I'm curious because I don't, we don't know, especially the way it's been, you know, but we're always excited to learn about all these different facilities that are in different cities around the country um, that are trying to get going. And of course, that's why we do what we do here. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's uh you know, Maryland is actually a pretty good state, uh, as it turns out, um, to start a distillery, uh, in our opinion, based on, you know, the, the legal framework is, uh, you know, can sometimes be frustrating, but it is what it is, but it's pretty fair in the big scheme of things. Uh, you know, the regulators can sometimes be frustrating, but they're doing their jobs, but the, generally speaking, they're fair, you know, so it's really, uh, we didn't know what to expect, right? And especially because, you know, we were, our DSP, our Distilled Spirits Permit, is number 12 in Maryland. Um, so I think we were the, I don't know if we were the 12th to open, but we were the 12th to get a license at least. And uh, so really it was kind of like, you know, ever, ever since the days of, you know, it being a big rye whiskey powerhouse, those all shut down or sold to, you know, Kentucky distilleries like Pikesville went over to Heaven Hill and things like that. So the whole landscape was kind of just shuttered for decades. Uh, I want to say Seagram's was probably the last guys producing rye here into like the 70s maybe if I had to guess so it was really kind of starting from zero and we had the benefit that we were not the first we had a couple of distilleries uh, that were kind of uh, really knocked down some barriers for all of us which is great um, and then in the city of Baltimore they are there are currently four uh, of which we're one uh, so the big one that a lot of people know is Sagamore Spirit uh, making rye whiskey they're awesome uh, another one that's closer to our size, uh, Baltimore Spirits Company, also making rye whiskey and some gin uh, and a couple of um, uh, Amaros and things like that. Awesome guys doing great things. And there's one that a lot of people haven't heard of because they are deliberately very, very, very small. The first ones in the city uh, is called Louthan, L-O-U-T-H-A-N. That's like a father and daughter, really great people uh, making bourbon and probably some other things too. Uh, and they just, you know, their, their goal is they just, they just want to keep it small and make great whiskey. So there's only four of us in the city, and, uh, and then there's maybe another probably 30 or 40 distilleries in the state of Maryland. For a small state, that's not too bad. And the dynamic's great. I mean, I tell you this, uh, we all get along. I mean, of course, you know, personalities are personalities, but, uh, you know, it kind of like you see in the industry in Kentucky, from what I hear, and other places, that at the end of the day, people are competing, but they're doing it in a pretty gentlemanly way without very many sharp elbows and uh, really are, you know, we get invited to events all the time from other distilleries and we try to do the same. We have events here that we invite other distilleries, come on and sell your stuff. You know, it's it just kind of, who's it hurt? No one. And who's it helped? Everybody. So uh, that's really what we've experienced. 
And in the city of Baltimore, I mean, Sagamore being so big, they had, they could easily have written us off and never engaged with us, and no one would have thought anything worse of it. And that's not that's the exact opposite of what they did. They've always been, uh, you know, there at a pinch if we need help. They're, you know, encountering the same problems we're encountering, just bigger, you know. Uh, but they have more people to handle it. So we have smaller problems, but fewer people to handle it. So I really can't say enough about the, the environment. It really is, uh, it really is fantastic. And I, and this extends to. When I go to other states for sales and stuff, like New York and Jersey and things like that, I always meet people who are willing to be team players. It's it's pretty awesome. Really cool. That's really cool to hear. Just, you know, even like you said, you know, even though you guys are competitors in, in a sense, but y'all bring different flavors and different products to the table. And at the end of the day, you can raise a glass and toast. A hundred percent. And, you know, and if, and even if we were competing like head on, head on, I mean, well, if, you know, if, if I don't play ball with another distillery, people are going to find them anyway. Right. So like, even if I, even if I wanted to do that, which we don't, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to win that fight. So, uh, it just on every level, you know, just do what feels right. And what feels right is to be helpful. So that's what yeah. we do. And that's what most other people do too. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I agree. I think that comes from, uh, if you'll indulge a little tap dance here, I, my, because people actually had this, I was doing tours on Saturday here, um, and I was talking to somebody about the same general topic, and I attribute that to uh, the culture of Kentucky and of Scotland, and by that I mean that, you know, as you, well, you guys know, you guys you live in Kentucky, that so many people are in the industry, and like, you know, maybe you work at Wild Turkey, and your brother-in-law works here, and your sister works here, whatever, like, yeah, you're competing, but you're all part of the same ecosystem, and I think in Scotland it's very similar, so I think that does... Uh, I think that culture, you know, has ripple effects. So even though we're not in Kentucky, we're still, you know, we look up to Kentucky to see, you know, how it's done. So I think that that goes to not just producing whiskey, but also just how to behave and how to treat one another. Yeah, yeah. that's well. Now, some of those Kentucky folks might be looking at you for how single malt's done. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what in the world is single malt whiskey? Sure. Um, well, the, the, it's going to depend a little bit on where you are, but uh, I'll say when you look at, because you'll have American single malts like we are, you know, Scotch single malt, which is the most of them. But in general, the, the things that are going to be uh, amongst whatever single malt, whether it's made in America or Japan or whatever, the big thing is that we only use one grain, which is malted barley. Um, so no corn, no wheat, no rye, just malted barley. Uh, as far as the other uh, elements of, of production and aging, it's going to vary essentially by, um, by locale, by country. And with in America, what we've done, uh, we being producers of American single malt, is we're actually producing a, a product that technically doesn't really even exist yet according to the government, right? So we're, we're all making American malt whiskey, which is a kind of a broader category, uh, a broader definition rather. Uh, but within that category of American malt whiskey, uh, we as producers of single malt have come together uh, as part of a, a group called the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, uh, which is to say, hey, here's how we all think we should define this category. Uh, so for us, uh, the way it's been proposed, and we think it's on the one-yard line of being approved by the government, is 100% malted barley. Um, we can make our whiskey on a pot still or a column still, which differentiates it in some ways from Scotland, because a Scotch single malt can only be made in a pot still. 
Um, we can age our product in virgin oak, like a bourbon, like a bourbon is required to, uh, or we can use uh, used cooperage. You know, so Old Line chooses to use new oak, but we don't have to. So, um, and there's a few other, you know, it, as far as distillation, as far as how high the, the proof you can go in barrel entry, it's pretty much the same as a bourbon. So um, it really is, uh, it's what we're trying to do as a category is make it narrow enough where it's protected, but wide enough where people can get creative and do different things. Um, and for us, you know, one good example actually in Scotland to be a whiskey at all, single malt or not, uh, in Scotland has to be at least three years old. American single malt, just like bourbon or rye, could be aged today. You know, it wouldn't taste very good, but it could. So, you know, while Old Line is aging four to eight years for the most of our stuff, if not long, nothing less than four, um, we have the luxury of that. We've been at this for a while, but for you know the guy next door who's starting up—not literally, but you know somebody else start, start, starting a distillery—they want to throw in a little five-gallon barrel for a year to get started. But we've been there, so uh, we don't want to have that minimum age because we want more people doing this, right? Get more of the merrier. Get them in there. Get them in there. So the category is designed to be accessible and just you know that right balance of protective, but also not stifling. I like that. I like that. Now, it's, it really has gone well. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there, Jonathan. Oh, no, no, you're oh, good, no, you're because good. I was going to say, as we keep talking, we should probably have some more uh, whiskey. Well, I just finished my drink, so I'm ready for number two. So, so I should move for myself. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, oh, Which is the Navy Strength 114. The Navy Strength 114, yep. So <clears throat> what you're, uh, this is, uh, a lot of people will ask sometimes, is it fundamentally, aside from the proof, any different than the 95? And the answer is no. It's the exact same, exact same juice out of the barrel. Um, that's just proof to 114. We've experimented with, you know, some distilleries, as you know, will do maybe their lower proof stuff might be a certain age profile, and their higher proof a different one. And we, we didn't for us, we didn't see any value in doing that. Doesn't mean that other people don't have their reasons, of course. Uh, but for us, um, it's the differentiation is certainly noteworthy, and for it's uh, that same. Uh, blend of four to eight year old barrels is what we use for both. And tell people where Navy Strength comes from and why it's always 114. So yeah, it's a uh, as with any old you know whiskey or military story for that matter. There's some truth and some fiction, I'm sure, and it's hard to see where 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 each where the line is. But as we understand the the tale, um, back when sailors used to get rations, typically of rum, uh, maybe of gin, I suppose, on a ship. Uh, they had no way of knowing how strong it was because back then, whiskey and rum and whatever made it to market in a barrel, and who, who knows who was tampering with it or whatever. So there was no chain of custody. Like nowadays, you pick up a bottle and you see the proof, and you know that's pretty much going to be it because it's all regulated. So the way the sailors would try to guard against getting a watered-down ration was to uh, mix a little bit of it with gunpowder and put a match to it. And if it ignited, it was above a certain point, and if it didn't ignite, it was below. So that was their binary measure, right? They had no way of knowing. So the, the officers on the ship would get that rum or whatever proof down just to that bare minimum where it would still pass a test, uh, but they want to stretch it out as long as they can. So if somebody somewhere figured out if they, if they got it on board at 114, that that would be, you know, Navy strength. It would, it would consistently pass that, that, uh, that sailor test. So that's where, that's where the term came from. Not, you don't see it very often in whiskey. You might see the proof, like old granddad has a 114, for example. Uh, it's a really good whiskey. Uh, they don't call it Navy Strength, I don't think, but we did it because uh, we our blue label, so this is our new blue label here, Navy Strength, used to be Cask Strength, which we still do Cask Strength, but just in a different way. Um, 
And Arch and I found that when we were drinking our cast strength, uh, you know, I love it at one, you know, usually it's like 124, 125 proof, give or take, out of the barrel. Um, but we found ourselves putting a little water or ice in it typically and kind of opening it up a bit. Um, and we're like, you know, we're probably drinking this thing around Navy strength anyway. We're Navy guys, and we love it the way it shows at that proof. Let's just do that. And then we made our cask strength became a single barrel cask strength. So, uh, so we have kind of a, a regular proof of the 95, a high proof of the 114, and then a little bit higher on the cask strength, which will be a single barrel, which is a single barrel, uh, which is kind of fun too. So long, long answer to your short question. I apologize. No, I love it. I learned something. So I love the one for it. This is my desert island for old line whiskeys. If I had to pick one that I just said, okay, you got to pick one, that's it. It would be, the Navy would be hands down. I love some other things. I thought you were supposed to do that with kids. <laughs> pick your favorite. <laughs> pick your favorite, that's right. No, I just did. I just did. Yeah. <laughs> I got three kids at home. I can't, I can't pick one of them. But the whiskeys, I can do it. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the one, I'm really, the 114th, I just, yeah, I just, I'm crazy for it. It's amazing that they're the same, just different proofs. There's so much difference to them. 100%. And that's, yeah, exactly to the, to the conversation earlier. Like, we, we saw no need to change the profile beyond the proof because it's just, it, there's just so much difference there already. Once in a while on the high proof, I'll get a little more of that, um, like, stone fruit, maybe nectarine. Um, it depends on the day. I'm probably getting a little bit of it now, but it's, you know, it depends on, obviously you guys know, like palate, you know, whatever you've eaten that day, whatever, but having just had lasagna for dinner about two hours ago, this is now my palate is telling me that, uh, like peach iced tea, uh, I sometimes get, which is I think a combination of those tannins from the oak and then a little bit of vanilla sweetness and then that, that nectarine, as I call it. Um, yeah, sometimes it's like peach iced tea all the way. Sometimes I don't get that at all, so... I mean, this smells, it smells really, really good to me. And I know it's the same, it's the same juice as the flagship, but the proof that it's a higher proof, but I get more complexity, more flavors. Um, I don't know if it's just a high proof with it or what, but, you know. That's so the goal. I, That's I, the goal. I, I is right in that 100, 110 normally. Um, of course, I love high proof stuff if it's done well, but. <laughs> yeah, it, the complexity is there. Like you said, it's uh, exactly kind of why we do it yeah, with that high yeah. proof. You get, you get the heat, the heat from the one fourteen, but I also get subtle sweetness coming through. Um, kind of like a mellowed out old fashioned without the bitters. Honestly, for me, I get oranges, berries. I get all kinds of stuff. The guys at the bar at our the bar I'm sitting at when it's right now it's not operating we're closed on Mondays but um, the uh, the Mark Old Fashioned is just it's just an old fashioned with Navy strength it's, it sounds like more than it is but like hey make me a Marky please and it's yeah. just an old fashioned with this and I just love that high proof old fashioned and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's killer but like you said it's, it's kind of a lot of the way there without anything else in it I mean, good, good good work on that that is awesome thank you. Well, like I said, it's still it's still messing with me because, like you said, it's still the, it's the same recipe, same ages, but 19 points different on the proof scale. <laughs> and 
and it's a totally different flavor. Agreed. Agreed. It came out of the same vat, right? It's like we have a 3,000 gallon tank um, that for anything that's not small batch or a barrel pick or, you know, whatever, uh, or, or single barrel uh, cast drink goes in that big 3,000 gallon tank. So it's just a matter of, I mean, yeah, we'll evolve a little bit over time, but I, I can almost guarantee that these two were uh, pulled from that probably the, almost the same time. So. Now, forgive me if I missed this, um, but what is the what's the age statement on? Is it the same as the, the for the Navy strength, uh, for the flagship? Is it all the same, just a different group? All the same. Yep, it's gonna be a it's a, a, a blend, marriage, call it what you will, of four to eight year old, four to four to seven and a half. Now we'll be empty eights here shortly, but yeah, four to about eight year old, and it's the exact same. To your point, yep, it's uh, it's pulled out of the same big vat. Um, so yeah, it's the juice is in it, at, at cast strength. It's identical. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's really good. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're thrilled, and uh, you know the fact that we had you know Bob and Jim, the guys that we learned from Golden Distillery, whom we you know acquired, uh, and then you know we mentioned I think before we actually started recording, we talked about Middle West Spirits. Uh, out in Ohio with whom we do a lot of production and the combination of like that first step from Bob and Jim and they got us like that was like the booster engine of like okay they got us like headed in the right direction with a little bit you know a lot of energy and then the guys at Middle West I mean the fact that they've helped us so much to take this from that level to then just get it to the next level um, they've, they've been awesome so I mean yeah I think we've made some good choices ourselves along the way but we've had a lot of good uh, a lot of good guidance that we are yeah enormously grateful for well, and I was going to say I'm, you know when people think of how stuff reacts in a barrel sometimes you can kind of mask things with some some things with the single malt how does that work I was thinking of that as you know we're talking I was like how does that work I mean obviously you don't have anything else in there you know it's just one malt <laughs> you know like there's no real recipe the recipes probably with age and barrel and stuff. The, so. uh, that's a good question. You know, I've actually only ever been asked that question in those terms. Uh, so I think that uh, I, because we're using virgin oak, I think we're kind of in the same boat as I'll, again. I'll just say a bourbon. Um, I don't say rye because I think rye actually has a little advantage over other whiskeys on like. You can have a, a great two-year-old rye. I mean, yeah, I like it. All, I like it age longer, but like really, I think rye can kind of come out yeah. fighting a little younger. Um, bourbon, I think, takes a little longer. Like I'd say, malt does as well. If we were doing uh, second or third use oak, like the Scots, uh, I think there's a lot less room to hide. Um, I think that uh, you know it's just going to be that much more difficult, uh, or at least you got to wait, play the game a little longer uh, instead of you know four or five years. Maybe you need to go twelve or fifteen. Um, so, no, we've been fortunate, you know, we, uh, we're putting in really clean distillate. We actually, we, we used to do this in smaller barrels, which we, you know, like a lot of distilleries do. And, uh, we moved away from that as soon as we could, because the best product we get is out of the 53 gallon ASBs. But, um, the way we were able to put out a product as good as it was in a 30 gallon or even a 10 gallon barrel for a period of time, because it's not, not a lot of time in a, in a 30 gallon barrel, you got to get it out of there maybe five years, if not less. Uh, 10 gallon barrel maybe three if not less so 
you don't have a lot of time for oxidation to really fix some things for you. So you got to put really clean juice in. So I think using those small barrels forced us to really, honestly, like put in the cleanest distillate we could. Um, and I think that's just paid dividends, you know, just having that discipline, I suppose, moving forward. But yeah, I, I don't think I really answered your question <laughs> to a satisfactory level. Uh, it's a great question I've never been asked before, but I think there's, with the way we age, it's probably about the same as a bourbon. Like it's gotta be good, garbage in, garbage mm -hmm. out. Uh, but we have a little bit more leeway than if we were using used barrels. Used barrels, then, you know, the kimono is a little more open. <laughs> well, and like you said too, you were, you're maybe doing a little cutting the heart out and thing, you know, those little things that you can control pulling the right levers. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah. And then some of this, I mean, depends on where you produce, but some guys will leave, you know, most of the heads in and that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world as long as you, as long as you're willing to give it enough time, cause that's going to be the most volatile, the most volatile compounds. They're going to evaporate off first. So, I mean, heads in your whiskey, as I understand it, um, isn't always the worst thing as long as you're patient and, and let the barrel and, and time do its thing. Those will evaporate on out. Uh, and we, we make a heads cut, but, um, but yeah, at any rate. Now these are, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, these are newer kind of flagships that you guys introduced recently within the last year. Okay, so kind of, you know, what, like, what was the change, what was the mindset, what, you know, what you guys wanted to bring new to the market or, you know, like you guys were experimenting, playing right now? Or, um, yeah, so, no, perfect, great question. So, yeah, so uh, uh, to your point, we had a, you know, we have a, you know, I'll use the term white label, blue label for our 95, as you know, we saw a minute ago, as a white and the Navy's blue. Our old white and blue label were 86 proof and cask strength. Um, and so a couple of things. We were, um, as we mentioned earlier, we were kind of phasing out the uh, non-53 gallon barrels. We still use 30s a little bit here and there uh, to really good effect uh, for certain specific projects. But for the most part, we're, you know, 95%, 98% of what we do is 53s. Um, but at any rate, we were using them more. So when we made the jump from 30, um, you know, four to five year old 30 gallon juice to 48 year old 53, we knew there was going to be uh, a jump in profile. It wasn't going to be a seamless thing, and, and nor should it be. It was, it was a big improvement. I mean, I love the old stuff, but it got even better. So we knew there was going to be that jump in profile. Um, we wanted to do a brand refresh anyway. We were a little like our old which looked very similar, but you know, we just kind of wanted to spruce it up a little bit. Uh, and Arch and I, our old 86, we were like, you know, I, I love it, but it's just not, it, it just drank so easy, we thought it could use a little more a little more horsepower. So for all those things, we figured let's just do this all at once. So when we're making that jump in flavor profile, let's do the rebranding and let's bump that proof up. So we're not changing one thing a year, three years in a row, we're changing three things at once and making a clean cut. So that was kind of part of the mindset. As far as the, the high proof, um, you know, we, we love, love, love cast strength, but like I was saying earlier, we, we, we kind of found ourselves typically, you know, adding a little water, opening it up a bit so that Navy strength fit the brand, fit the profile we liked. And then that gave us now an opportunity to, well, we still want to have cast strength. Okay, that's now a single barrel. Um, and we do a lot of fun stuff with that. Like, you know, the first one we picked ourselves, just me, Arch, and our distiller. Second one, our whiskey club picked, which is awesome. Um, you know, we're doing stuff like that where, like, we're gonna to try to get like, you know, probably some whiskey clubs in, like, hey, we're not asking you to buy it, just if you want it, you can, but really, you know, come in, help us pick it, and then tell your buddies about it, you know? So 
it's, it, that single barrel cast drink allows us to do some more fun engagement. But really, that was the, you know, we just kind of, we knew these things were kind of coming and we thought, hey, let's just do these all at once. Uh, and I'm really glad we did. I think that 95 proof, I mean, 86 was great. Um, no complaints on it. But man, at 95, that drinks, that drinks like butter anyway. I mean, it doesn't need to be any lower. And yeah, we, we, we're very pleased we made the, we pulled the trigger when we did. I, and I think you made the, the best move for that, honestly. I'm sure the 86 group is great, but honestly, just around here, you don't see anything that's below 90. You don't. Uh, 100%. Yeah, you see it in Scotland a lot. Scotland and Ireland, you know, you see 80 all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we didn't want that. So, yeah, like kind of like we opened, we're American whiskey guys. So, you know, we see the Kentucky guys doing this at 90, 95, 100. That's kind of what we like to drink. So yeah, it's, I agree. I'm glad we're, you know, I'm glad we're in that range. Just, just the drinks. The 86 was great. The 95. One of our brand ambassadors, uh, he describes it as the Mary Poppins of whiskey. He's like, there's just no flaws. It's just perfect. It's perfect like Mary Poppins. And uh, I, uh, not, the, not the words I would use, but for Jeff Lickman, it works. So I, I heard him saying it the other night up in Philly. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll repeat that somewhere for some. Well, I'm sure I like it. I'm thankful for that. You'll feel like you're flying too. So, what's that? I said I'm sure drinking up of it, you'll feel like you're flying too. <laughs> That's right. hundred <laughs> percent. You might fall down a chimney, you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> might have some great uh, Navy stories to share. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Get a few more drinks in me, and you'll get some of those. Oh. Uh, uh, we'll do that after we hit the stop button, but we're not there yet. So. You know, you talked about this, you know, the American malt whiskey category is so large and you're pushing so hard to get that single malt to be recognized by the TTB. What's it been like to do that? And also, how have you seen the single malt, the American single malt category grow over the years? Yeah. Uh, so as far as the, the first part of the question, how has it been to kind of create a category uh it's been from where i said it's been surprisingly uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, the, the collegial i mean like that that you I, I would have thought that there'd be you know for every you know every distillery there's a new different opinion and there is but people have generally speaking been approaching this from a very similar mindset of what we think works and doesn't of course there's there's a good example is you know one of the last things that we had to decide on as a group was would we want American single malt whiskey to allow artificial uh, caramel coloring like the Scots do? And the Scots do it because they're using used cooperage with very inconsistent colors coming out of the barrel. And, you know, if a 12 year old Scotch out of the barrel might look like a one year old bourbon just because bourbon gets so much color. You know, so the, for all the reasons the Scots want to add coloring, it doesn't change the flavor. And I, I, I have no problem with it. We don't do it. We don't have to, um, but you know the question was like, hey, should we allow that or not? I think Old Line voted that, yeah, sure, allow it. You know, we don't need it, but someone else might want to. I think the, I think the vote actually went the other way, but like that was the only thing I can think of where it was even like a tweener. I'm like, where's this going to go? Everything else has been largely pretty much accepted, and the guys that deserve, I think, the lion's share of the credit for that are the guys at like Westland Distillery. Um, and Westward and Balcones and a few others. Um, oh, don't even forget here. Uh, Santa Fe Spirits. Excuse me, i got to forget them. Uh, and a few others. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some important people that were really the ones that were uh, doing this even before we were. 
and they really spearheaded the whole thing, and um, they, they did a really good job. So it's been it's been great. Um, and as far as the uh, second part of that question, um, could you remind me what that was? Just seeing the category grow. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's grown. It's funny. I think when you look at it from like how many American single malt whiskeys there are out there on the shelf, or at least available, you know, being distilled at distilleries in the U.S. I heard uh, a statistic the other day, which I haven't fact-checked, so put an asterisk next to this, but there are uh, more distilleries making single malt whiskey in America than there are in Scotland. And I think I believe it. Now, that said, you know, the volume of single malt scotch being produced is light years more than what we're making here. But there's a testament that people are doing it. I think most distilleries, in my opinion, are doing it as kind of a kind of the way a brewery would do a beer collaboration or something, or a beer release, like, hey, we're going to do this you know, such and such beer for the holidays, and then maybe we'll do it again next year. I think a lot of distilleries are doing it kind of in that, like, hey, we make bourbon and rye and gin and vodka, let's do a single malt too. And, and I don't mean to make that sound disparaging, not, not at all. Uh, it's just, I think, the reality of the way most guys are doing it. And then you have, so that, that's growing extremely rapidly. I mean, almost everybody who makes whiskey out there in America these days is probably at least tinkering around with a single malt. As far as the people who do it as their primary kind of reason for existence, like Old Line, I mentioned Westland, Westward, Santa Fe, um, Virginia Distilling Company, another one I, I should have mentioned. Um, guys like us and them who are doing this as like really all that we do or 90% of what we do is a much smaller group. Um, and that's, I'd say there's probably 15 of us, uh, if I had to say, um, that, you know, that fall in that category, maybe fewer. So that number isn't growing quite as rapidly. I think that's a, a function of it's still much easier to sell bourbon than it is to sell American single malt. I mean, it's you know not as easy as it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I mean, you could put out almost anything called bourbon and somebody would buy it, right? Um, and, uh, you know, of course, people get pretty smart pretty quick on what's good and what's not. Um, so now the bar is higher these days. But I mean, like the, the, the startup guys I mean, the guys in Kentucky have been doing this well for years. But uh, at any rate, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's a tough category, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, it's, right now we're at the forefront of a category that's going places, and it's hard, but, you know, 10 years from now, hopefully I'm looking back and saying I'm really glad that we kept our eye on the ball. Um, and uh, so, yeah, as far as the category growth, I'd say it's, it's very strong, um, but I'd say still, oh, man, I'd say... Let's say at a busy liquor store, a thousand people. I'll say five hundred people walk into a busy liquor store on a Saturday in October uh, to buy whatever. Uh, I'm lucky if out of that five hundred, I'm very lucky if one guy showed up because he needs American single. Like they're there for bourbon or rye or scotch or truly or wine or beer, whatever the hell. And uh, so like we're our category is trying to like jump in on that shopping cart that's already somebody's already shopping for something else you know what i mean so we're waiting on that point or pushing towards that point where we are you open that cabinet and you're like oh i'm out of asm got to go to the store you know so we're not trying to bump anybody else out of the cart we just want to jump in there with them <laughs> it's kind of the way we're looking at it so well you are doing some pretty cool things you guys are also a little experimental you, know, you do some finishing do some fun things like that let's go to our third pour the sherry finish yeah, yeah. So, this actually is one of our uh, actually. It's a little bit different brand, and you can see it's. This is our actually our old. Uh, this is the last bottle I think I'm holding in my hand. Actually, this release I believe. 
this is before we updated the, the labeling with the, you know, the jet on it, a little bit different. But this is our sherry finish. It's, uh, we call it our Double Oak series. And Double Oak, um, you know, to me at least, connotes typically like Woodford Double Oak is two virgin barrels in a row. Um, the TTB told us that American single malts weren't allowed to use the word finish, which doesn't sound right to us, but once you get a no from the government, making that no a yes is really hard. So we just said, you know what, we're not going to fight City Hall on this, and we'll just call it Double Oak. So for us, Double Oak is, you know, hey, we're in one oak barrel and then another. Just one of them's new, one of them's used. So, um, yes, yeah, so this is, uh, you should have, you, you have the Oloroso or the PX. Do you remember? Brandon, what does it say on yours? <laughs> does it say sherry well it'll definitely be sherry i don't know if it's the oloroso sherry or the px um what they sent you got it map so I, i'm pretty sure you have the um, the oloroso which is the one i have right here which is what we've done so it's a kind of a medium dry medium sweet sherry for those of you who aren't too familiar with the sherry world um and sherry's been our longest running uh finish it's the first finish we ever did uh, and it is, uh, it's kind of like the biggest following. Um, we do other finishes as well. We do, you know, Port and Madeira, um, Sautern was great, a bunch of others, but Sherry's kind of been like the granddaddy of the finishes for us. Um, I think it's one of our best ones. Uh, that and the Madeira finish, I think are both just killer in totally different ways. But yeah, it's, uh, and <clears throat> it's kind of hard to see here, but one thing we try to do there is, uh, oh, I don't know if you'd see it at all there, but it's, we try to put everything on the back as far as what's in the, in the bottle. So if anybody's got questions for you know, the mash bill, because even though it's a single malt, there is still a mash bill because there's different types of single malt. We use different types of malted barley. So how long it was aged, proof, and all that. So we try to put all the data on the back uh, just so, you know, people want to know, they can know. Uh, but it's really, it's a nice, it's a nice little whiskey. We, we love that sherry finish. Yeah. That's at 100 proof, by the way, what you got there. Nice. That's what we 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 love transparency. We love it when we love it when there's any kind of special finishes or any kind of uh, specialty blends that distilleries do. We want to see we want to see the stats on it. We want to see all right, what's the age on it? What's the proof on it? Um, any, all, all the details you can provide and be as transparent as you can on the label, that's, I think that is, that sets you above a lot of folks. Well, I appreciate that. It, you know, it's one of those things where it's actually, it's actually easier too, right? Because I mean, you yeah. think of like, we used to release something, it's like, you know, the amount of man hours we put into like the old label that had all this like flowery language in the back that no one cares about. I mean, I wrote it. I didn't give a shit about it. So, like, why would you care about it? So, like, all the hours... And the first one had a misspelling, by the way. Our first bottle had a... We used... Well, not a misspelling. We had a... Uh, it used the word uh, compliments, but we did it as in, like, I'm paying you a compliment instead of, like, flavors being complimentary. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, one of our investors was like, uh, hey, you guys know you did a misspelling in the back? I'm like, well, all right, Tom, we bought 10,000, man, so get used to it for a while. <laughs> but... Uh, so you didn't want to go through that whole PTB process. Yeah, that's right. Or, or just spend the money. I mean, spend the money on 10,000 new labels, like, you know, but, uh, so we, uh, yeah, we, we've kind of opted to like, it just makes our life easier. Uh, we, we tell everybody, we tell everybody everything anyway. So why not just put it on the, on the back and, you know, it's, it's funny, even as transparent as we are, 
it's, it's gotten way better, but in the early years when we started this, when we first hit the market selling products under the old line name like 2016, uh, definitely you'd see with a lot of like hipster guys would like, it's like they were, because this is right after a couple of distilleries, I won't name any names, but kind of caught get a little cute uh, with, with some things and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not here to pass judgment, but, the, you know, it happened. So um, the people were really primed to like look for a trick. So, you know, I'd be sitting here and like, hey, I have a bottle. Hey, you know, and I'll get the whole thing, old line, we're out of Baltimore, you know, bought this thing in the West Coast, learned, you know, we produce out in Ohio as well, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the whole time you're saying that, the person's looking at the back and they just like, they're making these assumptions and you can see like, uh, oh, well, you're not making that. Well, yeah, we are, you know. Well, it says Ohio. Well, I just told you. Like, our, we go out there, you know. And it's, uh, anyway, it was, people were like, so geared up to find somebody in a lie and it's like you know hey man go to our website like <laughs> it's all there you know you can call me a lot of things one thing you can't call me is a liar i'll give you that a lot of other things you can very fairly call me yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, 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 so the uh but yeah it's another transparency we, we it's made our life easier uh, the only thing we don't do the uh the detail on the back just because it will vary a little bit over time as far as like this blend of Maybe it's you know X percent four year, X percent seven year. It might change a little bit over time. So for the flagship stuff, we put a flavor wheel on the back um, because yeah. I mean, we know that what we taste and what you taste, you know, as we're different people, may not be the same. But for us, we're trying to communicate to a person who doesn't know what an American single malt is. At least get them in the ballpark. Like you know, and the big thing for us here, the big thing is what's not there. We have smoke zero. Um, you know, by which we mean like kind of peaty smoke. So we want, you know, if there's a person who doesn't like that and sees, oh, okay, you know. So that was a way for us to communicate some things, but avoid that flowery language that doesn't really tell you anything. Yeah. Uh, this is really good. And for somebody who does not, I'm really typically not a finished type of whiskey bourbon drinker, if you will. Um, but this is really good. But I will say, Single malts are a lot better when they're finished in cherry or Madeira or Port. They're a lot better than what bourbon is. Uh, there's a lot of bourbons out there that try to do that, and it's not my thing. It's some people's thing, but not mine. Um, I like this. This is good. I appreciate that. Yeah, I do. I think you're. I agree with you in that. I think single malts uh, take to finishes really nicely. Um, and I think I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I could. I'm sure if I thought, I'd find a bunch of you know some exceptions to this rule. But in general, yeah, in the bourbon yeah. world, yeah, I'd lean towards non-finished. But uh, yeah. yeah, and some of these come across different. Like one of the ones that um, it's it's a it's a it's a good whiskey, uh, but the finish that we have that is probably on the lower end of my favorites is our port finish, uh, and it's a great whiskey. People who love that kind of fruit forward, they go crazy for it. I think it's a very, if it wasn't a good whiskey, we wouldn't throw it out. But, um, but that one to me, for my personal taste, is like, that's a little, that's a little aggressive on the finish there. And it's kind of one of those things that people are, uh, they're like, ah, not for me, or they just go bananas over it. Uh, so I'm much more of like this sherry, I think comes a little, little more on the subtle side. Um, you know, subtly nutty, subtly fruity. Uh, and that falls into what I like to do for a finish. It's just that little bit of nudge. Will you yeah, the, the- Intrigued me on the when you said port finish that you all do one of those. If there is a finish that I do like when it comes to bourbon finishes, is port. Port's probably my favorite one. But I don't know if that's because you, know, you got so much complexity going on with bourbon. 
it takes on that sweetness of the pork. Uh, they kind of mellows everything out. I don't know, but I'd be interested to try your pork. No joke. I think we, uh, I think uh, we just shipped Tracy um, at Estes uh, a bunch of samples, and one of them was probably the pork. So if so, we'll have her get one out to you guys, so you guys can give it a go. Oh. Wait, wait. <laughs> and, and I finally did. I finally did look it up. Is the Oloroso? It is the Olo. That's what I thought. Okay, because the PX okay. is coming out here shortly. But when we ship these out, I don't think we had any PX to send. Um, but the Olos, that's the one that's been the tried and true um, all along. PX is a little sweeter. Uh, great, mm-hmm. awesome. They're both. Uh, but the Olo has been the one we've been doing all along. Yeah, we we really gave Brandon a hard one on this one because he hates finishes for the most part on bourbons and not a big single malt guy. So it was like a double whammy and. Ah. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, this could have gone a lot differently. I'm glad that it didn't. <laughs> oh, no. And, you, and guys, Brandon, you guys are killing it. These, these three are awesome. And you'll love this too, Brandon, because we do reviews. We do the whole review. You know, Yes, we might like the juice, but if it's $500, maybe we don't love it as much. Brandon, $65 for the cherry finish. 55 for the Navy strength and 45 flagship. All day. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's not, it's a, there's nothing to debate there. That's all day long. Yeah, we wanted to price it where. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Brandon. I didn't mean to step on you. No, you're good. You're good. We wanted to price it where. I mean, all right, it's tough. You know, malts are expensive to make. The grain's really expensive. But for us, you know, we're, we're kind of targeting bourbon drinkers more than we are single malt scotch drinkers so we made a definitive point to try to keep it in that range of you know that 40 to 60 45 to 65 range where a lot of bourbon drinkers will be very comfortable um, mm-hmm. and you know it's you know at 45 it's a little tight in our margins no big deal at 65 it's a little more comfortable but you know we're happy and uh yeah we want that to be not like a one and done like we want people to say okay i could i could spend enough money again and feel good about it um and feel like they're getting value well i think you're right because a lot of times we talk about would you get a second bottle of it sometimes it's like sometimes you're like no get two one less trip less gas <laughs> i would definitely buy a second bottle of each of these honestly Good. Thank you. Like, it's really good, especially for the price point. Like Don said, like it's that's a no-brainer. Because typically, you see newer distilleries coming in. They're trying to do different things. They're trying to be that like craft top stuff. But they come in at a really high, high price point, and sometimes they price themselves out. Honestly, um, which I get it because operational costs and all that stuff, whatever. But. You know, it, it, but you, you guys got to figure it out. What I can see, it's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was a, it's, it's, yeah, we, it was a deliberate choice to do it that way, um, to kind of, but we're, we're pleased. I, I'm, I'm very happy with where we're at in the price. Like, I would not want to be a penny higher for what we do. I, 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 I want people to feel like, holy smokes, like they would have paid more and they didn't. Right, you right, know, right. Uh, that's a much better feeling than, yeah. I paid five bucks more than I want to do for that. You know, I'd, I'd much rather have it be people feel like they're getting more than they paid for. Right. Yeah, I think they're getting great value because you talk about it. It's four to seven and a half right now. It's pretty impressive. And you you talk about your margins are close on some of them. But you're still giving back to some veteran organizations. 
obviously what that's close to you all but why is it something you all want to do yeah no i appreciate that so yeah we've uh, you know as as you know you know arch and i are both vets and as are a lot of our original investors um you know we never went looking for money from friends and family but when some of these guys we used to fly with heard we were raising money started knocking on the door so before we knew it we were like backed by before we got some bigger investors we were backed by a bunch of knuckleheads we used to fly with uh, which is great it's awesome um, so yeah, it's a big part of our DNA. Uh, not only our background, but just like everything we do. It's you know, it, you know, when you kind of at 22 join up, and your entire first 10 years of your professional life uh, is that world. You know, you, a lot of it sticks with you. So yeah, the Navy was the best thing that ever happened to me professionally. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we do try to get back to uh, causes, the uh, veteran base. We do a lot of um, support of other causes that aren't veteran based as well, but really the veteran ones are the ones that we kind of resonate the most with us. And the one that we've been working with closest recently uh, is Canines for Warriors, uh, which as the name suggests, you know, they train uh, service dogs for veterans who are in, in need, primarily for uh, veterans who are at risk of suicide. So their goal is to you know, work towards zero veteran suicide, which is a very noble goal, we think. And they're great. You know, it costs like fifty thousand dollars or something crazy to train one of these dogs. And I believe they actually also take uh, rescue dogs and do this. So it's kind of like a like a win-win. And we met these guys via a Marine Corps vet um, who was a, a friend of a friend who uh, uh, rode a boat across the Atlantic, him and three other people, to raise money for, among other things, canines for warriors. Uh, back like three years ago, and then we met him as he was getting ready to do the same on the Pacific from uh, Monterey, California to Hawaii. Uh, and so we were like, hey, this is great, this guy's, and he had never rode in his life. Like, he, he rode across the Atlantic and trained, but like, before that, he's like, ah, oh, somebody just said, want to row across the Atlantic? He's like, all right, fine. So uh, he got us onto this Canines for Warriors thing, and we just love the organization. Um, we work with the, the Tailhook Association, which is naval aviation. There's a scholarship fund for uh, children of, of naval aviators and, uh, and maintenance crews who, you know, who are in need. And uh, I'm blanking on a couple here, but yeah, we, there's a lot of great. Oh, the Baltimore Station's a local shelter that uh, for uh, veteran men that uh, are homeless, uh, and it's recovery services for drug addiction and alcohol, and, and gets them on their feet and, and gets them job training and all that. So anyway, not to go on forever, but. Uh, you know, we find a way, you know, it's, you know, margins are tight. We're not profitable, you know, but that's, we didn't expect to be at this point yet. And, um, you know, we can find a way to do it and it feels good to do it. So sorry for the long kind of rambling diatribe. Now, Brandon, you got any questions for Mark? Got him a couple pours in, so he might be an open book. Yeah. I'll give him my ATM password. Yeah. <laughs> it's not much in there, so joke's on you. Well I, uh, well, I can promise you this. When I do make it to Baltimore, I'm going to definitely come by and check you guys out, obviously. Um, you, guys have, you guys got an awesome product. I really enjoyed everything, honestly. And as John knows, I, I'm, I'm pretty pretty straightforward, pretty honest about mm -hmm. my, my reviews of it. But you guys are doing something good, man. And, thank you, Brandon. And again, and thank you guys for your service. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank, thank, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm still to this day amazed that people want to sit here and talk to me for an hour. So I appreciate it very much. I, uh, I, I really appreciate you guys doing this on your personal time. Absolutely. John, John now, and I can do this uh, all night long. <laughs> true. Now I got one last question for you. 
because you're going to launch a new product here in 2024. I think it's right up Brandon and I's alley. O-Line's 51 Rye with. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, as you know, we focus on single malt. That's our swim lane. But uh, Maryland being historically a rye producing state, there's a Maryland rye whiskey trail forming. And, you know, we want to be part of that. And, uh, yeah, we love rye and bourbon. So, like, you know, having us make one, you know, twist my arm. That was, you know, it wasn't, wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard to convince us to do it. Um, and rye whiskey, as you guys may know, is very tricky. Rye is a tricky grain. So we had no experience working with it. And we, uh, I don't know if it was their idea or ours, but a local a brewery about a block away uh, called Monument City Brewing. And they're awesome guys. We've been friends with them for years. And their flagship beer is called their 51 Rye IPAs, which is 51% um, malted rye and 51% malted barley, I believe. Or oh, sorry, 49% malted barley. Um, so it's, you know, more than half rye. And we said, you know, maybe we just get, get some of that mash without the hops uh, and ferment it over here and distill it and just see what happens. And we did that, threw it into a little barrel, mess, you know, let it sit for a year or two and just kind of got, got a feel for where it was going. And we loved it. So we ramped it up a little bit. Still tiny production, but uh, we, we've distilled it, I don't know how many times in 2023. Uh, did a decent number of runs, but yeah, so it's coming along. We're going to release the first uh, iteration of it out of a 30-gallon barrel here, I think in April. And it's really nice. It's just, a, it's a, I love it because it's a, it's a high malt rye and we're a malt whiskey company. Um, and it's a collaboration with a great brewery. And it just all came together in a way that was like too perfect. So uh, yeah, it's great. We'll, uh, We'll have to get you guys a sample of that. It's uh, it's gonna be very limited. It's gonna be just you know sold here at the distillery, um, for the most part. I don't think we're gonna. I think we may uh, put a little bit into distribution locally to get to a couple of bars that we know. But really, it's limited run, but it's great. So I'll be curious to see what you guys think of it. Well, that sounds pretty cool, and I, I love the collaboration. And obviously, like you said, Maryland's a rye state, what it was known for for a long time. So it's it's really cool to see that come out. And Mark, thank you so much for sharing some pours with us. Good stories. This is a blast. Well, can I uh, can I make one shameless plug too, which I always uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've forgotten to do before, and I always kick myself, is that uh, Old Line, as of October, we actually can um, we can ship via a third party that we work with uh, via our website. We can ship to forty states. So if anybody is listening that wants to get their uh, their hands on a bottle, uh, oldlinespirits.com, and um, if, you know, 80% chance, <laughs> 40 out of 50 states, that, that it can go to you. So, uh, it, yeah, just to shamelessly plug it, I, I just wanted to throw that in there. But I, thank you so much for the time, guys. Um, this is this is a blast. And, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for giving me some of your time. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've had a blast, so thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.